0: Alrighty, good morning. It is that time to make our way back to Matthew chapter 7, where our Lord and Savior is finishing up uh, his sermon on the mount. He's making some uh, concluding remarks. We're going to pick up there around verse 13 again, and uh, we're going to ask the Lord for his grace now in a word of prayer. Now, Father, with these intense, dramatic, words and images so serious and some of them so frightening. God, we pray for discernment to be able to hear what the spirit is saying and put those words into practice For you have warned us not to be just a hearer of the word and deceive ourselves, but be a doer of the word. To be blessed and a blessing to others and a blessing to God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is the American poet uh, from the early 1900s, his name Alfred Kilmer, who wrote a famous poem. Some of you know it. The, uh, the poem I'm referring to is called Trees. And uh, here's a few of the verses. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. It's kind of a nice little poem there. Thank you for applauding all one person. (laughs) Uh, now, he was a professed believer, Kilmer, he was, and he liked to write about uh, the beauty of God's creation. And so I can only imagine the beauty that he is enjoying these days in heaven. Jesus referred to as the paradise of God. And I believe trees are pretty cool. And I've got some pictures for you to enjoy. So let's just look at the majestic redwoods here in California. We've got this gorgeous tree, Southeast Asia. It's a wisteria tree, actually. And we have windswept trees from New Zealand. We've got, that is called a dragon blood, and it's from Yemen. Just amazing, beautiful tree. This one's uh, uh, angel oak, uh, hailing from South Carolina. We've got to, of course, have cherry blossoms from our beloved Japan, which we were missionaries there for four years, and that is a sight you see everywhere. Just beautiful, huh? And then we'll end with the California orange tree, fat and sassy and delicious and <laughs> wonderful. And I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. Unless, of course, it's diseased or unhealthy or dead. Um, in that case, you've got a tree that bears this kind of fruit and quite the contrast between the lovely slides that preceded this one and the image of diseased, bad, worthless fruit. And so, yes, quite the contrast, indeed, a contrast that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make here in his conclusion, the Sermon on the Mount, two trees he will talk about, among other things that the two trees will stand for two kinds of people, the healthy, vibrant trees with lush leaves and fantastic fruit that you just saw, that will stand for genuine disciples, the real deal, real saved people, Christians, who follow Jesus and obey his teaching. The sick, diseased trees, empty and void of life with nasty, worthless fruit on them, Jesus will call false teachers and those who follow false teachers fake followers or false Christians now. He's going to make the point, hey, don't be deceived. You will know them by their fruit. And that is a very famous saying, and that is the stuff of this sermon. Now, you'd never mistake a diseased tree, a bad tree, for a good tree. If you were watching those slides, I mean, how would you get them mixed up? And Jesus is going to make that point. How could you? It's pretty obvious. Uh, It does get tricky sometimes, some seasons in life, but give it a little time, and what's on the inside will come out uh, for all to see and know. And so Jesus is going to conclude, as we've been seeing, his great sermon on how to get to heaven uh, with looking for a response and he's going to say everybody has two choices and he's going to use three metaphors to show that there are only two choices. One choice is his way that ends in heaven or the world's way that ends in hell. And so he's going to take three metaphors, as I just mentioned, uh, two kinds of roads. One is wide and easy and uh, tolerant and you can do whatever you want and popular, but the problem is it ends in eternal destruction. He said there's another road his way, that he's the gate, the narrow path that leads to life. It's a disciplined way, it's a tough way, but it opens up quite (laughs) nicely in the paradise of God. And then he talks about two trees, and he's going to uh, show the difference between the real thing and that which is false and lifeless. And then two builders. And we're going to be looking at the two builders and the kinds of houses that you can build, one on sand and one on the rock foundation. But these three, they fit together because it's all part of his conclusion. So for our purposes, we're looking at just the two trees that are kind of nestled in between the road, the two roads and the two builders in the house. And so that's what we're taking a look But I think it's good to read the whole ending again as we did last time just for a full impact of what he's saying because these truths all work together. They're all dovetailing to say really the same thing. The path of Christ leads to heaven. Without Christ, you're going to be lost. Let's pick up there at verse 13 again. He says, so enter through the narrow gate. That would be him. He calls himself the gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go in that way. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few, comparatively speaking, find it. Now, and here's where our text picks up watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, but by their fruit you will recognize them. Now we're going to switch to the uh, plant kingdom from the animal illustration there. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What else would you do with a tree with rotten fruit like that? Verse 20. So, by their fruit, what comes out of their life, you will recognize them. He goes on. Not everyone who says to me, now continuing the thought about these fake Disciples, not everybody claims to be a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. That will be an important thing to know what that is. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, it's me, Lord, come on. Didn't we pro- prophesy in your name? proclaim the gospel in your name, whatever, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house, yet it doesn't fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, notice they both groups hear the word, know the word, talk about the word, Maybe for years, <laughs> but there's a difference. One doesn't act on it, the others do. And the ones that do not put them into practice, like a foolish guy who builds his house on sin. What was he thinking? The rains come down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house, their life, the heart, everything. And it falls with such a great disastrous crash. So when Jesus finished the sermon, right, the crowds were amazed. Like, what kind of authority is this? Not like the everyday rabbis. And so there's the text in its entirety. And like I said, we're concentrating on a tale of two trees that uh, starts out, really, with a, with a sheep that cried wolf or a sheep that cries like a wolf because guess what? The sheep is really... Not a sheep, but a wolfman. So we'll isolate that text now for you. The trees that get started with the wolf's howl there, uh, verses 15 through 23, are consideration. And we're going to walk through this important passage. Listen, this could be the difference between heaven and hell for somebody in this room or listening to my voice. These words are so important in a world that offers a thousand spiritual paths and all roads lead to God mentality when Jesus is saying, no, they don't. The gospel is being mangled and deconstructed and false teachings infiltrated the Christian communities at alarming rates and alarming uh, welcome. What you believe will determine where your soul spends forever. So these are important words. It's dramatic and scary. Let the scary scriptures do their important work. Uh, the Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. So it's an uncomfortable thing to examine ourselves, to look around, to use some discernment, but it's necessary. So we're walking through this passage that starts... Uh, with verse 15. We'll walk our way through to the end of just this paragraph. Uh, Note takers, I got four ideas here for you, coming at you from top to bottom, okay? Number one, we're going to run into a timeless warning about false teaching. From the dawn of time, ever since there was truth, the devil's come against that with counterfeit information. So a, a timeless warning. Number two, a disturbing description, about fake teachers and the way they deceive. And number three, a fail-safe strategy to avoid the wolf and the eating of poisonous fruit that will poison your life and your faith. And then finally, a frightening revelation there where the road and the trees and the builders all meet on Judgment Day, and he reveals what happens to those who are not truly His And so those are the things. A timeless warning, a disturbing description, a fail-safe strategy, and a frightening revelation. Let's dig in with a timeless warning there in your verse 15. Now, as I just said, ever since the dawn of time, ever since there was saving truth, uh, the devil's been busy with deceptive lies. Why? Because, of course, truth is the vehicle of salvation. The truth of the gospel saves. You have to believe in what the gospel is and what it's not. It has boundaries. It is something and it's not something else. So if we can manipulate that enough, then (laughs) the gospel that is the power of salvation, if you change it, it's no longer what it was. So it's no longer the power of salvation because it isn't the truth anymore. And so that is why we have these timeless Warnings from the jump because we have a God who wills that none perish, but everybody come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And he has an adversary called the Evil One. And his job, even though his time is short, relatively speaking, is to take down as many as possible. Why? To hurt the heart of God. Because God's heart is a heart of love, and he wants everybody to be accounted for on that great day and so jesus warns us watch out so watch out my people it means keep your eyes open spiritually speaking beware take heed (laughs) use caution in your christian life have some spiritual discernment you know uh the psalmist says teach me good judgment give to me discernment for i rely on your word it's something to be praying about do you have discernment spiritually speaking I mean, are you sucked into every of doctrine and everything that's on the Christian uh, books, shelves, and blogs, and Facebook posts? It's tricky. It's very tricky. So step one is be aware of them. He says, watch out, my people. Be aware. Not everybody is who they say they are. You know? So he gives us this heads up. Now, when he says beware, you know, and... An unseen threat is the most dangerous of all. If you see the snake in the grass, if you hear the rattle going off, you have a good chance of avoiding getting a bite from a viper. But it's when you don't see the snake, you don't hear the rattle, and you're walking, duh, you know, you're gonna get bit. So he says, "Oh, watch out. Are you watching? Is the radar on? Is discernment happening? Or are you just gulping it all down because it looks and appears good? And he says, that's the whole deal. One writer, uh, he founded the Gospel Coalition. Some of you asked me, you know, what's a good website to read interesting articles and get some inspiration? The Gospel Coalition. It's a good place to go. He founded it. His name is D.A. Carson, and this is what he wrote about the passage He says, warnings about false prophets are necessary based upon the fact that not all who speak in the name of the Lord are authentic, that truth can be violated, and that the gospel's enemies usually conceal their hostility and try to pass themselves off as fellow believers. And that's the thing. Paul warns Timothy about a a time that would come that is now here, of a spiritual climate that would create a hospitable environment for the gospel's enemies. And here's what he wrote to Timothy in his second letter in chapter four. He says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and in the presence of Jesus Christ, his son, to preach the word in truth, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, sound teaching, biblical thinking. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Hey, I've got an itch here. I want you to scratch, you know. And so the teacher will say, I'll tell you what you want to hear. They will turn their ears away from biblical truth and turn aside to spiritual truth. Nonsense. The NASB... New America Standard Bible uh, translates itching ears as have their ears tickled because the word can mean that as well. So tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies as the song goes. You know, we, we kind of want to hear that. I want to be able to have my cake and eat it too. I want to be saved and go to heaven and call myself a Christian, but I also want to enjoy my pet darling sins. And so there are people who will teach you what you want to hear. You want the, why, the way to be less narrow than Jesus says it is? Sure, we'll tell you that. We'll help you fit in. We'll make you feel good. We'll tell you a gospel that's not offensive and will not make people want to mock you. So Jesus says, yeah, there's a wider way. And uh, to have your ears tickled will put you on that wider path. The only problem is it's temporally um, easier, but at a cost of forfeiting the life to come, which is forever. So he says, pay attention, pay attention. So now point to a disturbing description now of a sheep in a wolf costume. I've got a picture of what that might look like. It's a little, a little funny, but uh, you know what? Wow, unbelievable that that wolf is smart enough to know, uh, you know, I'm going to be detected if I don't disguise myself. So I'm going to get a, a a bunch of wool from Joanne's fabric store. <laughs> And I'm going to get into the pen that way. Now, Timothy also was told by Paul, listen, imposters, imposters, they're out there. They're out there. Where do you think they're out there? They're out there today, now. Where are they? They exist. They're doing their thing right now. He says, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So oftentimes, these mm, wolves don't even know they're wolves. They think it. And by the end of the sermon, you'll see. They th- they're surprised. What? I'm a wolf? I never knew that. Didn't I do this and say this and, and all of this stuff? So they delude themselves into thinking that they're a good shepherd or they're a good sheep. And they're just, pro- they have progressive ideas. That's what they're doing, and in reality, they're the very opposite of what a sheep is. They're the antithesis of what a sheep is. Sheep are not predators. They are not, generally speaking, aggressive, though you do run into them once in a while, but they usually have something like distemper or rabies. Some get sick, but they can be cured, right? But, but generally speaking, all things being equal, sheep are, are kind of, you know, they're timid. They're mild-mannered. You know, your kid wanders into a sheepfold and there's a sheep uh, grazing in the distance. You're not like, oh, my kid, oh, no, you know? No, you know? But if your kid wanders into a field and there's a wolf, surveying the horizon you have quite a different reaction don't you you should well sheep you know they're mild mannered like I said they graze in green pastures they rest beside quiet waters and you know what they're following the beloved voice of the voice they know their loving shepherd downright paths those paths are straight and those paths are narrow not so with the wolves But wolves are fierce predators. They're they're not known for their benevolent nature, but for their sharp, sharp teeth and their insatiable, bloodthirsty appetite. Who are these wolves and what makes them so dangerous? Jesus is talking about a very specific and the most dangerous and the most lethal kind of false teacher because there's lots of false teachers. There's a ton of false religions. But this kind, Jesus says, is different This is what I want you, my people, to really pay attention to. And he calls them out, right? There's false religions for every day of the month. He's not talking about that. There are world religions worshiping other deities, advocating other spiritual practices. There's a plethora of pagan religions, all sorts of things with idol worship in the world, cults and new age ideas and spiritual philosophies. Oh, my word, thousands upon thousands, right? He's not talking about that. Watch what he is talking about. He's saying here, the wolf is disguising itself as a sheep. In other words, it's one who attempts to alter the truth in the sheep pen and an effort to be accepted within Christian congregations and uh, as a Christian themselves, teaching things consistent with Christianity. That's what they want to be perceived as doing. Now a Muslim who's on the corner, I ran into a Muslim in San Francisco, passing out leaflets, doing what we do, proselytizing. Got into a conversation with them. But he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus is not talking about that because it's very clear. He's not trying to pass himself off as a a Christian. He's telling you, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Muslim. And this isn't what I'm offering you is not Christianity. It's distinct from Christianity. You guys get saved by just trusting Jesus and doing nothing but trusting him. Uh, and Allah, you've got to do five pillars, man. And even then, you don't know if you're truly saved or not. So yeah, there's no <laughs> confusion between the two, right? Jesus is saying, those at odds with him that have a bone to pick with Jesus... Uh, And the gospel he preaches they wish to do so without appearing to be in conflict with him or God or the Bible. They don't want to be perceived as doing something wrong so they dress it up to make it almost sound exactly like the gospel with a little bit of enhancements. Just enough to mess you up. Just enough for you to shipwreck your faith. Just enough. And he says this Is what you have to watch out for. They're helpful enhancements. They're my version is what Jesus really meant. And that's what they say. And we know the gist of what they teach simply by knowing what Jesus just said in verses 13 and 14, because 13 and 14 and 15 go together. So what did he just say? He just said, here's my version of the gospel. I'm the son of God, and here's what I think. There's only one gate. It's really small because it's me, right? And all other gates, they're all lies. You take the other ways, you're going to go to hell. I'm the one. I'm God. I laid down my life. I shed my blood for you. That's the way you get your sins forgiven. I will come in by the Holy Spirit, but I am the straight and narrow path. When you get onto the path, it's going to be tight. It's going to be self-denial. You'll be telling yourself no to the sins that you used to love. You will be telling yourself no to a lot of stuff. You will be bearing a cross. Because those who follow me deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow in a restrictive, repressive of the bad things way. That's tight. That will get you into tight places because at a Thanksgiving table, you're sitting there and you believe one thing and everybody else is offended by it. So there'll be three Christians on one side and two on the other. But the wide road says, let me tell you a gospel that brings people together in God's love and grace and mercy to where there is no separation, no need for changing your life, no need for repentance and holiness and narrow-mindedness. Somebody just said to me, you're a very narrow-minded person. I said, oh, it's way worse than you know. (laughs) It's way worse than you can ever imagine. I'm not getting this stuff because I made it up. I didn't have a dream. I'm not telling you anything that I got from a philosophy. I'm getting it from a book called the Bible, from Jesus' words, who said, this is a narrow way. So I'm not ashamed to to have you call me a narrow-minded person because I'm following a narrow-minded God in the beautiful sense of that word. Narrow for the way that leads to life, that's beautiful. Uh, When God parts the Red Sea, he put a narrow path through it. And that was a blessed narrow path. And if you wanted to get to the other side without drowning, you stayed on this narrow path. But if you don't like the narrow path, you want it a little wider, good luck with your swimming there in the Red Sea. (laughs) My word, my word. And so (laughs) the next breath, he says, this is my version. Watch out for the fakers who look like me and sound like me and go bye and all of that. (laughs) But they say just the opposite. Oh, it's a wide, expansive, tolerant, uh, you know, all of this thing with diversity and all of that. No, we come under a lord. We submit to the gospel. We obey the word of God, tight, narrow, disciplined. That's Jesus' version. And anyone who comes in his name and says, oh, no, no, no. Let's lighten things up. Let's change it a little bit. He says, that's them. That's them. It's different from what I just told you. And you'll know because of their fruit, and the fruit is what they're saying and what they're teaching. And why are they doing all of this? Barclay, he's got a great quote. He says, the basic drive of the false prophet is always self-interest. It can be expressed by a desire for gain or an easy life, a desire for prestige, or the desire to advance one's own ideas and not just gods. And so the quest for popularity, you know what? If you want, (laughs) you come up dressed as a sheep saying that you're a pastor of a Christian congregation and then go on Oprah and have Oprah swooning and accepting and saying, will you travel with me as a pastor saying he's a Christian? With a whole different gospel and Oprah Winfrey, who says she's new age guru, says, Come with me, I love what you're saying. That's a bad sign. That's a bad, bad sign. If you can give a TED talk and say, you know, but I've come I've come into this whole new understanding of what Jesus really meant. He really didn't mean narrow straight or you're gonna go to hell which is exactly what he said. <laughs> he, what he meant was, receive everybody. That's love and no, no repentance, no changing, no born again, no hell. Come on, we're really? Wow. Jesus says, there's your wolf. There's your wolf. It's been going on a long time. Catch this and we'll move on. In the Old Testament, here's how the wolves were described, and they're the same thing. They were described 700 years before this time. They would cry out peace where there's no peace. That was a character, characterization of their gospel. Here's what it meant. They persuaded people to believe that they have the benefit of peace with God and not require them to do what God requires to have that peace so no worries you can have the peace of God and they don't tell them how you can just have it because that's how God is they leave out the part that's narrow and restrictive and offensive that you can only find it through repenting of your sins and bowing the knee to one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone all other ways you will perish. Wow. That's different. Peace where there's no peace. (sighs) There was a pharmacist, 2001, in Kansas City, who pled guilty of watering down chemotherapy drugs to make a profit. You're nodding your heads because you remember this. It was quite famous. The only reason he didn't get life in prison is because he pled guilty and cooperated. He dumbed down 72 drugs uh, over 10 years and 4,200 patients uh, were affected. Now, get this. You know how they caught him? They caught him because suddenly anybody who got their chemotherapy from him didn't have nasty side effects. Where were all the side effects? And suddenly an alarming uh, survival rate drop off, but only tied back to him and they nailed him all for money. Now, what about the, the shepherd or the Christian who just dumbs down and waters down the gospel so that people don't have side effects, that, you know, you're not going to get these nasty side effects. You know, people not loving you, thinking you're dumb and, and archaic and a hateful person and all of this stuff. How much more heinous is the crime of somebody who leads a soul in Jesus' name, off the cliff, so that their lives are ruined and possibly for eternity. For personal gain, for personal gain, it's all for personal gain. My sympathy card gets torn up, so by the end of the sermon, you see them getting their just desserts, and you know what? That's exactly what they deserve. So much for the wolves. Let's go on to point three. A, a fail-safe strategy will examine, well, is to examine their lives. Inspect the fruit on the tree. Uh, and it's repeated twice in 16 and verse 20, as you will see there. Yeah, you see that? And so, yeah, he says inspect that tree there. Um, Look closely at somebody's life. You can only fake being a a sheep when you're not one. So long. Sooner or later, what's your true nature will come out and be manifested. That's the point here. Is is that give them enough time and the the fruit is what they say, what they teach, what they live for and how they live. He says, you will know because here's the truth. uh, What one does... Reveals who one is every time. Now, when people get caught in terrible scandals, and you know, these days, as Jesus said, the things you do in private and secret sins, you know, will be shouted from the rooftop. And that happens a lot. We see that. And you know what they usually say after they get caught in some terrible, humiliating thing? They always say the same thing this isn't who I am. This isn't who I really am. Well, it may not be who you wish you were. or it may not be who you want to become someday, but right now, guess what? You did it because that's who you are. That's the kind of person you are. We do what we are. We say from the overabundance of the heart, the lips speak, it comes out the heart. And sometimes you just have to turn up the heat of somebody's life to see suddenly or give them enough time. And then suddenly we see, oh, how long has that been in there? right? So life takes a nasty turn. They didn't see it coming. There's a little pain. There's a little heat and out it oozes. There it is. Now, Christians, when that happens, we repent and it does happen to us a lot. But in this case, he says, you will see the rotten fruit for sure. And then you will know. And so he says, listen, isn't it obvious? He goes, uh, You'll always know the kind of vine it is by what's growing on the vine. So when, here's a vine. And oh, you could say, oh, a lot of things grow on a vine. What possibly, what kind of vine is it? Give it a little time. You guys have some patience. And then bam. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I thought it was. And sure enough, guess what? You gave it enough time and it produced from its inner nature what it truly is. It couldn't hide it very long. And so he says, listen, sweet grapes from grapevines, figs from fig trees, thorn bushes produce thorns, thistles present uh, thistles, and the outward will manifest according to the inner nature, plant kingdom, and human beings as well. In fact, he says, this principle is so set in stone, it's impossible for thistles to ever Produce figs. And it's impossible for a good, healthy apple tree ever to produce thistles or something poisonous. Now, once in a while, of course, the New Testament makes room for the occasional blight or fungus. Or mold or some kind of disease that we get seasonally, which we do. If anybody says that they have no sin in their lives, they're a liar, the Bible says. So yeah, we we got a few bad apples here and there, but they don't care to rise. Our lives are dominated. Our sin and unbelief that we struggle with, it doesn't characterize us. Rather, we're characterized by obedience and holiness and good fruit and love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit sap that is within the heart of every believer, right? So if you have more sin than the Savior, if you have more sin than self, than than, than more self than God, you have to start wondering what kind of sap is flowing around in there. I hope that it's from the Lord. John's thing in his first epistle, he says, listen, about no good tree bears bad fruit. He says, no one who lives in him, here's the tense of the verb, keeps on sinning. No one, who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them, and they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. There's new life in there that prevails and dominates. And so he says, listen, consistent, remaining. People who say, I'm a Christian, and yet they remain in their sins. Nothing's changed. He says, watch out, man. Because you're deluding yourself. Check your branches. That's how you'll know. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth, the thoughts going through your head. Watch what your hands are doing, where your feet's taking you. Don't find yourself deceived on that great day and find out, whoops. Let the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will characterize a Christian life by Christian behavior if anybody claims to know Jesus 1 John chapter 2 he must walk as Jesus walked that's the way it is that's called the narrow path right So the bad tree makes the bad fruit. What does the fruit look like? Well, it promotes controversy and division. It brings confusion. This is the fruit. He says, watch out for this fruit. When you seek controversy and division and maybe immorality or a life that doesn't pray or submitted to authority of God's word, that's a big one. That's a piece of rotten fruit that says the Bible, come on. It's just a story. Yes, it's a good story, and we can get a lot of truth from it, but it's not the authoritative, literal word of God. That's a piece of rotten fruit right there. And Jesus says, oh, you see the fruit? See the fruit? Then you know. You can't listen to that anymore. Now, he says that kind of fruit accompanies that kind of person and he says you know what happens to a worthless person like that who resists the grace and the love of God in the end chop chop and and it's a disaster Jesus says for those kinds of people now before you think unworthy thoughts of God as some kind of maniac who goes with an axe wielding in and chop 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 and throw them all in the fire listen to me speaking of trees The cross has a nickname. It's called the tree. And God Almighty has a son who's with him from eternity because it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one. And he sent the second person of the Godhead into the human race and hung him on a tree. For who? For the wolves for the imposters, for the thugs, for sinners like you and me, for bad guys who don't love him or appreciate him and want to um, commit mutiny, get rid of him so we can live my own life as if I birthed myself, as if I sustained my heartbeat, as if I got here by my own will. We are all here because God bought us up and said, I would like you to be a part of my world. And all I ask is that you acknowledge that and bow your knee and serve me, since I'm the author of life and the sustainer and creator of yours. And for those who say, who spit on God hanging on a tree, who trample over the gospel and say, whatever, I'm going to do it my way. I'm basically a good guy. Yeah, sympathy card. (laughs) I'm sorry. What is left for God to do with these people? What is left if he hung and bled and died and suffocated naked on a cross with the world's sins heaped on him? And just saying, all I need you to do is come to me to have life. Come to me. Know me. That's all I want you to do. That will save you. You Just turn around. Trust me. What's he left to do? That brings us to the scariest verses in the Bible. Let me paraphrase them for you, and then we're done. So he says, not everyone who claims to be a Christian to know me is really accurate and true. Not everybody says, Lord, Lord, is going to heaven, but only the ones who do God's will. Many are going to say to me, oh, Lord, 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 didn't I do this, didn't I do that? And I'll tell them the sad news. I never knew you. We never met Please go away, you guys who pretty much do evil. You do evil. You <laughs> repent. There's no life. There's no change. You, you go on in your sins, and you lived in your sins, and you died in your sins. You didn't have to, but you did. Now, let's talk about the scary verses, dreadful revelation, last point, the scariest verses in the Bible. Why is it so scary? Warren Waresby, he'll tell you. Warren Wiersbe says this. It is possible to learn religious words and a vocabulary. The unhappy truth is we can memorize Bible verses, cry a few tears, get our emotions all stirred up, sing some religious songs and do some nice things and find ourselves standing at the great white throne judgment, having never obeyed God's will in our hearts and find ourselves condemned. That's scary how easy it is to Deceive ourselves. Do you know how many millions of people go to church? Especially higher church. Every Sunday, millions and millions and millions, and their hearts are untouched. Billions and millions of people could say, didn't I pray all these repetitive prayers? I spend hours every day repeating these prayers over and over again. Singing hymns in church every Sunday of my life. And in the morning, I would visit churches. For a service, for an hour, every single day, there are millions of people like that, who, their hearts, there's no born again, there's no life, there's just religion, 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 good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, without the blood of Christ. So he says, on that day, oh, by the way, take a look at this. Jesus, this carpenter, grew up in a town with other people, went to, some rabbis, uh, went to some Sabbath school with the rest of the kids. He's claiming to be the one sitting on a throne who makes a judgment on the entire uh, world of men's souls, that he is the final authority for the destination of all men and women. Look at that claim. He's claiming to be God because only God does that. And this is what he says. Let's start with their Lord, Lord. You know, notice they're protesting. First of all, they're kind of shocked. It's like, what? Lord, Lord, Lord. You know, it's uh, fervency. It's shock and dismay. It's desperation. Uh, it's surprise. 75% of Americans say that they claim to be Christian. 75, Google it. 75% <laughs> I'm in this business (laughs) I go to the gym 75% of them are saved I don't think so (laughs) how about at your schools and your workplaces and in your families are 75% of your families Uh, there's going to be surprises because it's so easy to think I'm basically a good person I give you the shirt off my back I've made some donations I go to church and Jesus says whoa it's not the claim, it's the life. James chapter 2, he says, listen to all of you who say, I believe in God, I believe in God, I believe in God. He says, the devil believes in God. And he's not saved. So he says, don't tell me you have faith. Show me your faith by how you live. And Jesus says, that's the winning ticket. It's from the heart. It's from a changed heart that, that makes a changed life. There's moral transformation on those branches of the saved tree. And so it's not the claim, it's the life. And he says, only those who do God's will. This is not rocket science. You'll be happy to hear this. What is God's will? Because whatever it is, it's the difference between heaven and hell, doing God's will. What is God's will? That you believe in Jesus and that you come to him and that you repent of your sin and bow the knee and make him Lord. And let the Holy Spirit come in and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in doing Christian deeds. Not your own deeds, Christian deeds that are born and enabled by the Spirit, the new Spirit that comes into you. That's what doing God's will is. That's what they missed. They got everything else except actually bowing the knee in their hearts, letting Christ be Lord and becoming born again so for them, the born-again ones who do the father's will, the way was narrow, the tree had fruit and the house has a firm foundation, they enter heaven at the end unjudged because their sins were judged. It's called double jeopardy. if you already pay for your crimes you can't be uh, you cannot be litigated again for a crime you've already paid for. And guess what? We paid for it through Christ. So we don't get judged. Because someone got judged for us and we accepted the deal while we were breathing. But these guys, they're in trouble. So they're standing there. They pretend their protest gives them away for their foolish logic. Here's their logic. Didn't I do this powerful, wonderful thing? Didn't I do that? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do this religious thing? Didn't I do that religious thing? And I tagged your name in there. I did it all in your name, right? And no, didn't we preach in your name, cast out demons in your name, had miracles happen in your name? When a Christian thinks about his own life, whether he's truly saved, that is not the way we think. We think, didn't I trust in you? And what you did for me on the cross, didn't I repent of my sins? Wasn't I being morally transformed? Didn't I have the Holy Spirit in my heart? These are the things that we we start thinking about what he's done for us. Not all the things we did for him, supposedly. One writer said about those things that they claim to have done. I love this. He said... There's some speculation as to whether these claims of theirs are even true. These are those who deluded themselves into thinking they were tried and true believers their whole life. Surely their assessment of what kinds of things they were doing for God has the same sort of twisted, warped understanding. And so, whether or not God was actually honoring what they did, I don't believe them for a second. They're lost, they're liars, they're fakers. So they're telling God, oh, well, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And weren't you impressed when I did that? And pow, I just spoke, and demons leapt out. So that must mean, and Jesus says, Hey, one thing you didn't do is you never met me. You never came to me to have life, and that's all you had to do. Oh, you didn't have to be good, you didn't have to do, you didn't have to do any requirement, but just meet me. There's a great story. Mark chapter five. There's a crowd of people pressing into Jesus, and he's on his way somewhere. And the Bible says the crowds were pressing in and touching him and threatening to crush him. And I mean, so you get the picture, right? And there's a woman in the crowd. She's embarrassed. She's got a personal problem, but she's hemorrhaging to death. She's slowly dying. She's humiliated. Right? She's a woman, she's got a personal problem. She sneaks up behind somehow by the grace of God. She gets in there and, and she says in her heart of faith, if only I just touched the guy's robe. He is who he claims to be. I'll be made whole. And she gets through and she touches the robe. And Jesus stops everything, and the uh, the parade's kind of like a cartoon goes implodes on itself. You know, everybody's like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Jesus says, "Hold everything. Somebody has touched me. Who's touched me?" And Peter <laughs> says, "Lord." Uh, excuse me, but do you see that everybody's touching you? Quoting, I'm quoting him. How can you ask such a silly question? Who's touching you? Everybody's touching you. We're going to be crushed to death here. And Jesus says, No. Only one person is touching me, for power has gone out of me. And then she comes forward and says, It was me. It was me. Power went out of Jesus and into her because she connected. She came to him in faith. You've got what I need. I believe you are the one you claim to be. And she got it. She got the power. Life, the energy of God came into her and stopped the flow of blood, which happens, spiritually speaking, to all who truly connect with him. And he's just saying plainly to them, we never connected. The power never went into you. You denied and resisted it just like Judas. You don't think Judas could say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Of course he was in the crowd proclaiming. Of course, when they were casting out demons, you know, where do you think Judas was? He was right there doing it and saying it. But somehow he was able to resist the power of saving power of Christ to enter his sin filled soul oh he had his hand in these miracles and he also had his hand in the money bag never repented but always quote helped himself to the offerings that were given to the twelve and Jesus he was unchanged, and nobody knew about it either. Nobody guessed when on the night he was betrayed, Jesus goes, hey, truly, truly, I tell you, the devil's are here. <laughs> so I'm one of you's a devil, man, and one of you's going to betray me, and, and I picture all the heads going, looking at Judas, of course, Judas. Nobody knows anything. Why? Because his costume was awesome. <laughs> he was wearing the sheep thing. But on that day, there's uh, no hiding on that day, there's just the truth and we're revealed for what it is. Not what we wished it would be or hoped for, but what it was today. Let's pray together. Father God, these awesome, dramatic, intense words that we close on, God, we are humbled in your presence and have to think some hard things about our own lives, about those around us, and the teaching that we receive or see all around us. God, just give us wisdom, compassion, and joy as we walk with you along this narrow path that leads to life. Apply these words to our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.